Greetings from Long Island, where every highway is a sunrise. It's time for Dave's Gone By, an hour of comedy, talk, and music brought to you by Total Theater, with your host, Dave Lefkowitz. You've never heard anything like it, so sit back, relax, squeal if you must. Here's the host of Dave's Gone By, Dave! Tropical hot dog night! Well, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, on this mid-November night to the 149th episode of Dave's Gone By, an hour of talk radio, comedy, and music brought to you by Hewlett Minuteman Press, MortgagesRock.com, and Performing Arts Insider Magazine. Now, ordinarily, this time of year, I would take a few minutes to rant about the Christmasation of America. It's a spiel I feel strongly about, even more so now. Used to be, for a week or so around Christmas, America stopped being a secular, pluralist country and became essentially a Christian nation. Every store, every TV show, every commercial, every aspect of life became about this gargantuan Goyesha holiday. And being Jewish, I hated it growing up. I felt very oppressed by this massive onslaught of otherness that I could not avoid. And now, it's even worse because they start the holiday not a few days before Christmas, not a few days after Thanksgiving, but the second after Halloween is over. And heck, if you watch the home shopping channels, which I'm sometimes forced to because the missus finds them relaxing, well, you know that on those networks, Christmas actually starts just after Labor Day. The minute Jerry Lewis rolls the spastics off Channel 5, Channels 15 and 18 wheel on the ornaments. I swear, the true agony of the Christ story was not him being on the cross for a few hours. It was his poor mother, Mary, who was obviously in labor for three and a half months before giving birth to little Jesus. I mean, if Christmas is the birth of Christ, and it starts on August 31st, by December 23rd, Mary's vagina must have looked like the Holland Tunnel. Three and a half months, the fetus Jesus must have been setting up camp in there. Sleeping bag, stereo system, three kings over for the weekend, a whole bit. And I swear it won't get better, because Christmas is so important to the media and to the capitalist culture of this society. Within three to five years, unless we're all wiped out by tsunamis and hurricanes and Muslims, we will start to see Christmas advertising on July 5th. The flags go down, the fireworks fizzle, on go the Christmas lights. And it makes sense. I mean, it's a lot nicer putting up house decorations in 80-degree weather than in late November. That'd be funny, though, with people coming to the emergency room with sunstroke. What happened? I don't know. One minute I was securing Rudolph's hooves, and the next I was sprawled out on the lawn. And the guy next door got electrocuted when his Santa fell in the swimming pool. Terrible. But anyway, I was not going to talk about all this. Not because I don't want to, as you can see, but because I don't have time. I have such an amazing guest on tonight's show and in the studio, a musical guest, a comical guest, a warm and delightful guest in the neighborhood, someone who has been writing and recording wonderful songs for two decades now, songs like 
the amoeba hop, Prince Charles, ballad of a ball game, sensitive new age guys, artificial means, what was I thinking, plus a dozen more on her new album, Folk Zinger, and that's on the Appleseed label, same label as Tom Paxton, a guest on the show last year, but he was on the phone. We have Christine Lavin in the studio, guitar in tow, and Christine will be singing and talking and sharing her talent and good humor with you and with me, Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, journalist, humorist, and host of Days Gone By. It's a Lavin love-in tonight, right after this. Performing Arts Insider. Three words that represent a whole world of entertainment found on Broadway, Off-Broadway, and in Cabaret. Hundreds of productions to see and enjoy, but how can you keep them all straight? Performing Arts Insider, the guide to everything that's happening on the stages of New York. For six decades, Performing Arts Insider has been a bible of the industry. Each issue lists hundreds of shows. Who wrote them? What are they about? Who's in the cast? The designers, producers, box office info, parental guides, reviews of what's good, what's bad, and why. Plus, opera and dance, too. As the chief editor of Backstage put it, Performing Arts Insider puts all the facts at your fingertips. To subscribe or get a sample issue, call 516-295-1511, 516-295-1511, or go to performingartsinsider.com. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on AM 1240 WTVB in Freeport, New York, and live streaming on the web at AM 1240 WTVB.com. And I've had... Some really cool guests on this program and some amazing folk people, folk singers. Everyone from folks like uh, Tom Paxton to Chris Smither. Uh, just recently spoke to Oscar Brand, who's been there pretty much from the beginning of the modern folk movement. And now I've got someone who is also, in a, in a curatorial way, as well as her own singer-songwriter way, someone who's been really important to the folk scene of the past, I would say, 30 years now. So it is an honor and a pleasure to have in the studio at WGBB, Christine Lavin. Hey, Christine. Hey, Dave. Nice to meet you. So you are like a busy, busy, busy kind of a person. Yeah. Um, I've been uh, I've been touring now for close to 22 years, full time. I moved to New York back in 1976 to take guitar lessons with Dave Van Ronk. And my first eight years in New York, I took lessons from him at night, and I would perform on the weekends, and I would work day jobs as a temp all over Manhattan. For eight years, I did that before I finally got the nerve to quit my day job. And well, you know, we even have to go backwards now, because I want to know, what was it like? You, he must have been terribly frightening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you one thing. When you took guitar lessons from Dave Van Ronk, you practiced, because what nerve would it take to go to a guitar lesson and not be prepared and to sit and make a fool of yourself in front of him. He was quite an imposing figure. He's about six foot four, huge guy, huge hands, but very delicate hands. And he was a terrific guitar teacher for someone like me because he was left-handed and played right-handed guitar like me. And he also couldn't read music like, hmm. like me. But he made up his own system of letters and dashes. It's this crazy kind of tablature, and I actually worked for him for a couple of years in exchange for lessons. I was his transcriptionist of his tablature. Oh, so you know how to write music, in fact? No, oh. he invented it himself. It was it was done on a typewriter. Like if there was a capital E, that would mean a capital E with an underline underneath it was the low E string. 
there. And if it was a, a small E with a line on top of it, it was that E, the high E. And huh. so at one time I had, um, this is after he had died, and I was going to be part of the Joni Mitchell wall-to-wall at Symphony Space, and I decided I really went out on a limb, Dave. I was crazy. I did Dave Van Ronk's arrangement of Joni Mitchell's song, um, uh, what's the one, Urge for Going. That oh, wow. But, but I hadn't done it in like 15 years, so his widow faxed to my hotel room the chart so I could relearn it. And I kept waiting and waiting for the front desk to call me to tell me this music chart had come. And they, they didn't call, so I called down and I said, I've been waiting for an hour now for a fax, a music chart. They said, well, something came for you, but it's not music. It looks like a math problem. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it looked like to, to you know, the, the, the yeah. layperson. But it's funny, when even that little bit that you played, that sounded very Joni-esque. That, uh, well, the funny thing about let me, let me see if I can play them. <laughs> I see, I'm, not, I'm totally not prepared. Um, wait Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But when Dave played his version for Joni Mitchell, the first words out of her mouth were, what tuning is that in? And it was in standard tuning. But she uses such oddball tuning, she didn't even recognize standard tuning when it was in front of her. Have you ever met her, by the way? Yeah, actually, Dave introduced me to her in Philadelphia probably around 1980. He was part of a big show down there, and so he took me along. To, to meet her and in fact when I met her I didn't say a word I just he said Joni this is Christine Lab and one of my students and she said hello and I went oh yeah <laughs> but I figured it was better to, to say nothing than to say something stupid oh well eventually did you loosen up or by then she had no, walked away it, and it was a, this huge thing Tom Waits was there oh my god did you talk people. to Tom Waits yeah I did and um I Let's see. I, I had Here, we'll recreate the moment. I'll be yeah. Tom. Yeah. I said, hi, Tom. I met you at such and such. He goes, I'm sorry. I don't remember you. <laughs> like, oh, that, that was, oh, there you go. I was living in a car but, at that point. But I'll yeah. tell you my Bob Dylan story, which is really funny. Tell, tell, tell. I was, in 1975, I was a waitress at the Cafe Lena in Saratoga Springs. And Lena was invited by Bob to be part of the entourage for the tour he was doing called the Rolling Thunder Review. And so I'll never forget it. It was on Halloween night that we left Saratoga Springs. That's where Lena lived at the Cafe Lena. It was me, Lena Spencer, and Joni Miller. Lena had the invitation. Joni had the car. And I had a driver's license, as did Joni. So we started driving about 11 o'clock at night. And every hour or so, the car would just sort of glide to a halt on the, on the Massachusetts Turnpike. But Joni, she was used to so she would pull the car over to the side of the road. She would open up the hood. I would strike a match and hold the match inside the engine so she could see the two wires that needed to be put together. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm on the, on the Turnpike holding a, a lit match inside a car engine. I kept thinking... This can't be a good no, idea. Not, but no. The car never blew up. So, we, and we we got there at like six o'clock in the morning, and we traveled with the Rolling Thunder Review for about five days. And we got to see the show from all different angles, from the wings, from out front, from the front row. And the day that we were going back to Saratoga, because Lena had shows that weekend, where we, the whole entourage had pulled into this rest stop someplace in the Massachusetts Turnpike, and they, Dylan and the and the gang were going up to. Um, 
Jack Kerouac's grave to film something. So we're sitting at this little table in this rest stop with a map, trying to figure out how what route <laughs> what road do we take to get back to Saratoga Springs. So Bob Dylan comes and sits down with us. He goes, hey, uh, what you doing? And so I said, oh, well, we have to go back to Saratoga Springs. We're looking at the map. He goes, oh. And then he didn't say anything. We didn't say anything. And I could see he's a well, nervous type. So he's going to get up. So I wanted to say something. Of course. Bob, I love the show. Because at this point, I'd seen it maybe four times. I said, I love it. And I love how you end with uh, this land is your land. It's such a you know great thing. But have you ever heard that verse written by Arlo Guthrie's friend, the Indian? He goes, no, how's it go? So I said, it goes, this land is your land. This land was my land until I sold you Manhattan Island. You moved our nation to the reservation. This land was stole by you from me. And Bob Dylan goes, oh, that's good. And he gets up and he leaves. And I thought, my one chance is to talk to Bob Dylan. I tell him how his song goes. Well. That was it. <laughs> Yeah, better than Tony Mitchell and not saying anything. I guess, I guess. I still haven't seen. I was working both nights at the PBS special on on the Martin Scorsese. It was, it was. I heard Dave was in it, and that he's he also came across very well. He was, yeah, because he's he's this outsized personality. It was really, it's a good documentary, Um, and they didn't censor it. Which I was very oh. proud of Channel 13 for because there were a couple of f bombs in there, and I was really? very proud. Yes, yeah. he didn't say any, but but some other people used them. You know, by the way, my um, an album I made way back in 1981, I think, called Future Fossils. There's a song on it mm-hmm. called The Ramblin' Waltz, and that was my experience with the Rolling Thunder Review. I wrote that song about Ramblin' Jack. Oh, yeah. It was so Nice Jewish boy in Ramblin' Jack yeah. Elliot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Elliot post. But it was interesting to watch him, you know, I mean, it was such a great opportunity for him. And Dylan really owed him such a debt because of all the, the stylistic well, yeah. <laughs> things he learned from Jack. And to see the crowd go crazy for, for uh, Jack Elliot, and then he'd walk off into the wings and, and there'd be nobody. And he'd just be sort of standing around and looking around and... I thought, wow. And then to see them afterwards in the hotel, after getting all this adulation and love from thousands of people, and then they're back on the road alone. And, and it, was, it, was, it was a real interesting experience because I, at, the, at that point, was just a waitress and a bread baker at the Cafe Lena, and I didn't have any uh, – I had no confidence to think that I could have a career in music. So, Well, at what point did you? In other words, at what point did you – get to the point in the mid-70s where you were a baker and playing and as best you could, within a couple of years, you had a label and music became the career. Well, I started playing guitar when I was 12, watching lessons on public television, and, I, and playing guitar and writing songs was something I always did, but I come from a very conservative Catholic family that I was going to be a nurse. That was my major in college, but... Um, at the cafe, Lena. Lena, every once in a while, would put me up on stage in between during the breaks of the headliner, and I got such a positive response from the audience. I figured, well, there's something I'm doing that people like, and I couldn't figure out exactly why because at the cafe, I saw so many really first-rate storytellers, guitarists, performers, singers, and I thought, well, I don't, I don't play guitar that well, I don't sing that well, I don't write that well, but 
doggone it, people like me. Right. <laughs> like Stuart Smug. I'm good enough. <laughs> Gosh darn it, people like me. And so the, the turning point was one night. It was in February uh, 1976. Don McLean's manager was in the house when I, I did a co-bill with this guy named Michael Devon, who was a piano player. And he gave me his card, and he said, you should come to New York, but you've got to learn how to play guitar better. And once you do, look me up. So that very same night, Dave Van Ronk was driving through Saratoga Springs on his way from Montreal, and he stopped off, and Lena said, hey, Christine, play a song for Dave. So I played him, The Ramblin' Waltz. And Dave said, you should come to New York. And I said, oh, I will, but I have to learn how to play guitar better. He goes, I'm a teacher. I'll teach you. And I was like, Okay, I don't believe in coincidence. There That's, we go. That was a day that the planets literally yeah. aligned. Two weeks later, I was living on 3rd Street uh, between uh, A and B, one block over from the Hells Angels. I was living on a... It was, the apartment was so funky that I didn't have a bed. It was two wooden horses with a door on top of it with a, a piece of foam rubber on top of that. Now that apartment sells for about $8,000 oh, a month. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, unbelievably, David Massigill still lives in that same building. And I'm sure, yeah, it's, it's much fancier wow. now than it was. But, gosh. And, and so that was... Now, I can probably play the, uh, the Ramblin' Waltz from Future Fossils unless you want to do that one yeah. live. Or, or? Oh, gosh. No, no, no that's not one. In, in like 20 years. Alone on the stage, you're a cowboy in light Charming the audience night after night They cut their hands for you, they all wish you well They go home to families, you go home to hotels Well, there's cranky bartenders, old chambermaids Young waitresses who might like to get laid Some treat you with contempt and some with respect Their faces stay with you, their names you forget You're a rambler, a singer of a song Women don't understand and don't wait for you long Well, some call you a rambler, some call you a rogue Some think you're a gambler, some think you're a joke If I knew you better, I might not agree But all I know of you is what I can see With the guitar in your hand and the light in your eyes on so strong you appear to be wise when it's all over you've nothing to do but sit in some bar room and down quite a few the west, where the sun always shines, and the beer tastes the best, but you need what you're getting up there on the stage, and you 
Like making more than a journeyman's way So you're trapped in the music that you do so well You're trapped in the comfort of fancy hotels It's nothing you've said, I just think I can tell If you had your way, you'd be gone Like superheroes, Batman and Robin are okay. But if you like hard rock music and hardcore comedy, try Jimmy and Robin. That's right, the dynamic and diarrheic duo with live bands playing the best metal, punk, and more. Jimmy and Robin, midnight Fridays on WGBB. Pow. D is for Dave, F is for fun, S is for silly and special, X is for excellent entertainment, D, F, S, X, Internet Radio, playing vintage episodes of Dave's Gone By, Thursday nights at 8 and 11. It's part of Live 365, but all you've got to do is visit davesgoneby.org, click the link, and listen online to classic Dave's Gone By, Thursdays 8 and 11. D, F, S, X, letters that stand for terrific! Hi, this is Christine Lavin, and you're listening to WGBB AM 1240. Dave's gone by. That's a very interesting thing, too. I've been doing this so long now that I, a lot of my older songs, um, I don't remember how they go. But I keep writing new ones. That's why well, yeah. I, have, I have finite space in my brain. Well, one of the questions time. I wanted to ask you is, as someone who is also who's written plays and songs and, and stuff like that, do you ever go through these periods? Because you're pretty prolific. I mean, you've put out about 17 albums in 20 years. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty, you know, that's a lot. And do you ever get to this point where every, every melody has been written, every topic's <laughs> been done, every song I could think of somebody probably wrote like 20 years ago or... Well, that's in my dark days, I think, like that. But um, I I think that as a songwriter, see, I write from inspiration. I can't sit down on command, and I don't have a writing time every day. And some people do that, well, and sure. I admire the fact that they can do that. So it is sometimes it's scary. You think, is that the last song I've ever written? But they, they, they just they keep just, coming. Yeah. But I must say, because I can't read music, and... Some of my songs, especially uh, the song Winter in Manhattan on my new record, I, I, when I played it and I sang it, I thought, man, this is hard for me to play. This is really hard for me to sing. What am I doing to myself? I'm writing songs beyond my own ability. And, and that song in particular, I thought, man, I wish I could get a group like the Accidentals to sing this song. And then I thought, maybe, you know, maybe they'll... They'll hear it and they'll want to do it. And then I thought, you know what? I should just call them up and I should hire them and pay them to write a, an arrangement and sing this on the record. And so that's what I did. And the, the irony of it is when we recorded that song, 
their version of it. It was June 13th, 2005, which was, at that time, it was the hottest day of the year. It was so hot. And when you have eight people in a vocal booth, because this was an acapella group, all the air conditioning had to be turned off. Oh. They were just sweating like dogs. And every five or six minutes, we would open up the door of the vocal booth, and I was knitting a giant bath towel at the time. So I would wave that in the air to try to oh, cool pass out water and stuff. Oh, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Oh, yeah, I brought lots of water for them. But, but, but at least you gave them a song to sing about winter that, that kind of <laughs> kept them cool mentally for, for a moment. Well, the, the irony of it is just about every uh, winter or Christmas record is recorded in the summertime because you'd have to have that much lead time to have all the packaging done. Sure. And even, you know the song, uh, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow? Sure. The first line is, oh, the weather outside is frightful. The fun. But that, that was written during a heat wave of, of 102 in Los Angeles. So when they said the weather outside is frightful, they meant it was so hot. But of course, it's a, it's a winter song, Let It Snow. Well, let's hear, not Let It Snow, but let us definitely hear The Accidentals doing Winter in Manhattan by Christine Lavin. I love springtime in Paris, summer at the shore, autumn in New England, but the season I love even more is winter in Manhattan. You never know what you will get. You never know, but Other days the sky is so foggy and gray It makes every Manhattan night blue and blue And it's winter in Manhattan It could be a balmy 50 degrees Heat wave! But you can still skate at Rockefeller Center In blue jeans and shirt sleeves You put up with the people who come here to skunk Freakishly enormous decorated trees And the fancy shop window displays And all the Broadway plays Hey, Dame Edna's back But she never stays Whatever this winter will be in Manhattan It won't be like any winter We've seen before, before At least once a week We'll break some records The weathermen love to keep score and the cab drivers love it when it's windy and cold. They make money all day and all night. And the horse and buggy drivers in Central Park take sweethearts for a spin and then kissing in the I'm walking here. 
talking about winter. Winter is the laughing is life. Living in the movie set. We wave to the crew of law and order so the TV can possibly get. Maybe we are only hamsters in the crowd, but star in our very own play. And when the sun sets over New Jersey, it's a wrap. We raise a cocktail and we say here's to winter in Manhattan. Where the snow really sticks to the street. Restaurants stay open 24 hours. You might be cold, but you can eat. No matter how much rain, no matter how much snow, the Canadian is not freezing. Just remember that winter in Manhattan is very often followed by Manhattan in the spring. Oh, it's winter. Dave's Gone By listeners know I love a good play on words, but let me say a good word on plays, my plays, collected in a lovely book called Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World, comedies that range from strange to deranged, from sad to satirical, fun, and unmistakably Dave, just $20 hardcover, $12 soft. Put down that crappy bestseller and pick up some laughs. 516-295-1511 or davesgoneby.org for marriage, babies, and the end of the world. Why can't I be good? Oh my God, the wedding is next month. We need flyers, invitations, booklets, Irving, we are screwed. No, we're not, Pearl. We'll just go to Hewlett Minuteman Press. Hewlett Minuteman? What can they do? Printing. Raving. Really? Letterheads. Souvenirs. Wonderful! Are they still at 1315 Broadway in Hewlett? Yup. 516-569-5577. Well, stop dawdling! Let's go! Yes, dear. Day after the wedding, I kill her. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. We are here with the wonderful and delightful and incredibly talented and prolific Christine Lavin, folk singer, who, well, also folk zinger. Why don't you explain the little play on words there? Um, that title actually came from um, a review of my show that I did in Orlando, Florida, maybe 10 years ago. And, of course, I cannot remember the name of the journalist. He gave the title, Folk Singer, and I wrote to him and I said, I love that title. Could I use that um, for an album cover, uh, album title or something? And he said, of course, of course. And I said, I'll give you credit. No. When I, I bought a new computer last year, when I was switching over, everything, I lost seven years of email. It's just, I'm still hoping it's one day going to appear on my computer. I think it's gone. And, and his name is one of the things that got lost. So you lost all those chicken soups for the soul uh, emails. <laughs> you? Little in-choke, if you know the album. You know, yeah, uh, you know, the funny thing, I, there's a song called Chicken Soup for the Soul on the record, and it's about somebody gave me a free subscription, Chicken Soup for the Soul, for the rest of my life. And the person who did that was not my downstairs neighbor, as I say in the song, it was 
folk singer David Ross. No. <laughs> a man would think that men don't read chicken soup for the soul. Well, David's very sensitive. He's a oh. very, very nice guy. Okay, no But problem. of course he doesn't know that. <laughs> I don't think he's put two and two together, but he'll probably find out eventually <laughs> now that I blabbed it. But the funny thing is, my brother, I, eventually I stopped getting the chicken soup for the soul. Thank God. It took almost two years to get it out, off my computer. But my brother signed me up for the writer's almanac. And hmm. I started reading those every day. It was so interesting. Except one day I just didn't want to read them anymore. But this I'm afraid to unsubscribe because Garrison Keillor puts it together. Oh. I'm afraid if I hook him on this bad list, Garrison Keillor will never have you on his show. Oh, it's true. I mean, I've got, um, you know, I have an email list for this show that, you know, I send people letting them know who's going to be on. And, you know, I'm curating that list. So if somebody says, please purge me from this email list, I'm like, you're never going to be a guest. <laughs> they don't know it, but I'm like, I know who you are. You're doing really? cabaret right now, and, and uh, you don't want to read my emails? I want to hear your music. So so you're oh, going to be on the first oh, thing. Oh, tell me. Who is it? Tell me, tell me. Um, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to put you on the spot like she, that. It's a name. She's a very funny and talented performer. Or at least she was. Now, of course, her, her career is completely going downhill because I'm trying to ruin it. But, you know... <laughs> How about a folk song? How about a song from Folk Zinger by Christine Lavin, live in the studio by you, whatever you... Oh. Of course, you know, it's my own record, but I have to look at it to... Uh, oh, okay, you know what? I know what I'll play for you. Um, the Peter Principal song. Okay, a song about my penis. Here we go. No, 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 no. <laughs> this song was co-written with Irvin Drake. Uh, actually, might as well explain a little bit about how famous and important Irvin Drake is. Irvin Drake wrote Good Morning Heartache. He wrote, I believe, the Frankie Lane song, I believe for every drop of rain that falls. And he wrote my all-time favorite song. Uh, it was a very good year, the Frank Sinatra song. But dig this, dig this, folk fans. He wrote, it was a very good year for the Kingston Trio. And it was the Kingston Trio recording that Frank Sinatra heard when he was driving from Los Angeles to Rancho Mirage. And he pulled over, called the radio station, and said, Who is that? I got, you know, that's well, wrong. Who are those communist punks? Yeah. <laughs> well, the interesting thing was, Frank was working on his album, The September of My Years, which mm. was his comeback record. And what more perfect song than it was a very good year for an album called The September yeah. of My Years. So... But since Frank, it was so emblazoned in his memory that that song was done by the Kingston Trio that he always thought of it as a folk song, not knowing that Irvin Drake, the guy who wrote it, was not a folk writer. He wrote uh, Good Morning Heartache. He wrote Tico Tico. And I recently, on Jonathan Schwartz's radio show, because yeah, he's yeah. such a Frank Sinatra aficionado, he's got a live recording of Frank doing it was a very good year. And he goes, uh, and now here's a little folk song for you kids. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Frank, it wasn't a folk song. Not when William Shatner did it. <laughs> but uh, Irvin Drake, by the way, lives in Great Neck. Now, is this within your li you know, listening area? Oh, totally. So, Irvin, if you're listening, huh? <laughs> well, listen to this. He's a great guy. Okay, so, so this is a song that I co-wrote with Irvin. Boy, I haven't done this in months. I hope I can do it. Never have we felt our country more divided than Republicans came to New York to sway those few undecided. 
three miles south of where they gather in this town, there's a deep, dark, empty hole in the ground. All of us who live here were shaken by that day, and the weeks and months that followed, some pain never goes away. The delegates all made the pilgrimage down to ground zero, posed for photographs with each reluctant hero. After 9-11, we had the sympathy of the world. Though we cried, we felt pride every time our flag unfurled. But three years down the line, the sympathy is gone. He said, mission accomplished as the battles rage on. How can mission be accomplished with the battles raging on? We know exactly how many Americans have died in Iraq. But we never see the photos of the coffins coming back. We see photos of the torture done in our name. Lots of fingers pointing, no one taking blame. A filmmaker from Flint, Michigan makes a movie you won't see. Shines a spotlight on the dark side of our democracy. You'd rather close your eyes than engage us in debate. The platform of the uninformed reads the politics of hate. New York City is everything so many of you fear. Chinese, Korean, Russian, even Arabic spoken here. Hasidic Jews and lesbians living right next door. To single mothers raising kids while daddy's off to war. There are single fathers raising kids while mommy's off to war. Sent there by a leader who never had a clue, never had a single doubt about what he should do. He thinks God made him president. Heaven knows we didn't do it. Is it time for us to say, Oh, Lordy, oh, Lordy, somebody blew it. Or are we witnessing the Peter Principle at work? The highest level of incompetence still expecting every perk? Or have we all gone crazy? Or could we be dead wrong? Can the righteous be defeated by the stupid and the strong? Someday will we be blacklisted because we wrote this song. Christine Lavin on Dave's Gone By, a song called The Peter Principle, not quite as funny as a lot of the songs you usually do, but an angry song. You don't, you, you don't do a lot of angry songs, but no. that one... You know, the, the situation that we find ourselves in, people like me, folks like me who have never been overtly political, 
it's like we have no choice. You know, we're living in this world. I grew up at a military school in Peekskill, New York. My brother was actually appointed to go to West Point. He was a battalion commander at the military school. And then he flunked the physical because of he has diplopia in his eyes. And then he became a conscientious objector. And then he ended up in Leavenworth Prison For during the Vietnam War. And another one of my brothers went to Vietnam as a military policeman. And, and both guys... They're doing okay, but, you know, their lives changed. And my brother Tom saw horrible, horrible things. And my brother Greg, you know, he was, he got, he was only in Leavenworth for five months. He was, he was uh, sentenced to six months, but he was in for five months <laughs> for good behavior. But it was absolutely frightening, and, and it's really scarred him for life. And I just, you know, to grow up at a military school where the military was, it was our life, it was my father's life. It, it, we didn't think of it as a bad thing, but, but watching, I mean, we're taping the day that uh, there's another vigil, another move-on vigil, because 2,000 soldiers have died, and 2,000 American soldiers have died in Iraq. But like, like the song, I, I said, you know, we know exactly how many Americans have died in Iraq, but we never see the photos of the coffins coming back. That is all kept, you know, according to the government, the administration, it's because of the privacy of the families. Other countries, they... they treat the war fallen with such dignity and with such respect and reverence and this is all hidden away it's well we don't see actually the bodies either i mean that that's what they're really not showing us is what a dead american soldier looks like not yeah. to mention 26,000 dead you know iraqi civilians but yeah. i can't say that i feel the same for them as i do no. for dead americans originally but when when i wrote this song um it was before the election and it had a different ending and and I it killed me <laughs> after the election. The original ending said, um, "I had it go." Um, uh, Peter Principal at work, the highest level of incompetence, expecting every part. This is the original. Uh, Enjoy it while you can. Your time is almost done. As the lucky streaks go, you've had quite a run. One term is all you get. Like father, like son. <laughs> Except, yeah. Then he won! Yeah. He well, won. that took the air out of... I really thought that took uh, the air out of everybody's tires. I was pretty militant, and and then that second election came, and he did win legitimately. Well, I, was, there's, there's still debate about that in Ohio. I just did a bunch of shows out there, and people are talking about how it, there was just a lot of monkey business going on. I know. I mean, I was literally here. Um, you, you met... Um, the news director for the station, Joe Salzone, before, and he was doing an election night coverage, and he knows the mood I was in that night, because I had this feeling, it was like, oh no, it's going to go wrong again. It's, it's like, this time they're really going to elect him. It doesn't make sense that people would lie during the exit polls, and the exit polls were so different from what the actual results were, and that, that's very curious. That doesn't make sense logically or mathematically. I don't know. No, I just, it was, ah, no more politics. Okay, sorry. More fun stuff, fun stuff. I know. <laughs> so, no, no, no. This is this is. I was doing a lot more politics. Believe me, last like last September, October, November. This one, you know, tuning the guitar. By the way, with Christine Lavin. Hey, you know, it'd be nice to play a romantic song from the Ooh. record. Oh yes. Um, I slowed down the Beatles song, All My Lovin'. Well, actually, there's an interesting story about this recording. Can I tell you the story? Yeah. Okay. I live in Manhattan about a mile and a half from the Ed Sullivan Theater. And on February 9th, 1964, I was one of the, let's say I was 12 years old. How old were you then? Were you alive then? 
I was a month. I was you literally. Were a month old? I was post sperm, post embryo. I was literally. I was born January '64. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So you were you were a month old. You so I didn't really notice the Beatles much at all. <laughs> well, I had their hair though. It was cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I was one of those people who watched them, and and it changed everything musically for people of, of our age. So. Um, but I always thought, and the first song they ever sang was All My Lovin', and I always thought it should be a ballad, because it's very, very romantic. But they're, you know, they're, close your eyes and I'll give you. So what I did was on February 7th, 2004, which was the 40th anniversary of the Beatles landing at JFK, I went into a recording studio just a few blocks from the Ed Sullivan Theater, and I recorded the basic tracks for this new version of All My Lovin'. On February 9th, the anniversary of the actual airing of the show, we mixed the song. I made 40 copies, and I sold them for the shows around Valentine's Day. One of This is interesting. One of the people who bought one of the original versions of my version of All My Loving is the caregiver for Linda McCartney's 98-year-old aunt. And the reason why she bought it, I had these 40 copies made that said, to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. She bought it for $5 so she could show it. Linda McCartney's 98-year-old aunt that people do remember Paul McCartney and the Beatles are still popular because she can't believe it. Oh, <laughs> he's not that popular. It's little Paul. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> you know, so oh, wow. That. But then as I, you know, this record was, we didn't know we were making a record. Every month I would go into the studio with this rock musician named Ryan Bowers. He's in a band called the WMDs, which either stands for the Weapons of Mass Destruction or the Women Doctors, depending on who you talk to. And... um we were just fooling around, get, getting new songs down on tape and, and doing this. So we actually worked on this arrangement for over a year and a half. We kept adding things. We added the strings. We had the cellos. And then when we thought the song was done, I said, you know what it still needs? It needs some kind of an introduction that you can't just go right into this song. But we want an introduction. It doesn't quite give it away. So then we brought Brian, uh, Robin Bateau back in, who played violin on it, to play a little opening thing. It was kind of dreamy. So if you're sitting there with your sweetheart, now's the time to make your moves. Pre- 
Consumer, and I want to spend my money on stores, restaurants, showrooms, travel agencies, mail order catalogs. Sell me stuff. But how do you reach me? Well, I listen to Dave's Gone By, so if you advertise there, you'll certainly have my attention. Dave'sGoneby.org has all the details, or email Dave's Gone By at AOL.com for the rate card. I'm listening. Sell me what you got. Extra, extra, classic episodes of Dave's Gone By here, show after show of comedy, music, and madness, as only Dave can do it. Only $12 per CD. Relive great moments like The Giving Chimp, and musical magic like Making Poopies. Classic Dave's Gone By, just $12. Makes a bizarre but thoughtful gift. For a list of shows, see davesgoneby.org or email davesgoneby at aol.com. Extra, extra, classic Dave. Get them while they're hot. More bad news. That's all you hear. Bad news. But here's good news. Sunday nights at 7 on WGBB, Joe Salzone covers current events with humor and smarts on Worldview, a fast hour of interviews, news, and opinion, plus my weekly theater segment, Broadview. 7 p.m. Sundays, Worldview, and welcome to it. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. We're having a terrific time tonight with guest Christine Lavin. So terrific that we're going to keep it going. She will be back next week, Thanksgiving night, with more songs, more stories, more of what makes her such a delightful performer and person. Please check out her website, ChristineLavin.com. Oh, and I should remind you to visit MortgagesRock.com, our newest sponsor. You can be the person making other people's dreams come true. If they need a loan to finance a house or for college or starting a business, MortgagesRock.com helps you help them. If you're good with people, if you can network and make contacts, you can learn mortgage origination and financing. MortgagesRock.com does the grunt work, and a 
allows you to grow at your own pace. You bring in the client, they make sure everything is done right. Fully licensed in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, a bunch of other states. Check them out by going to dagedogbuy.org and click the banner for mortgagesrock.com. Making money never sounded so good. And if you like the sounds of Broadway musicals and plays and cabaret shows, get yourself a subscription to Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine. 10% off for Dave's Gone By subscribers with details at performingartsinsider.com. And Unit Minuteman Press, the kings of copies, also giving 10% off to our listeners. Open six days a week, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett, Minuteman. And I'm something of a minute man myself because I have just a minute to add a few last thoughts. This weekend, Friday through Monday, at the Pennsylvania Pavilion, right by Penn Station, don't miss the Big Apple 10th Annual National Comic Book Sci-Fi Pop Culture Expo. How's that for a geeky title? The 10th Annual Comic Book Sci-Fi and Pop Culture Expo, featuring appearances by Richard Hatch, Gary Fisher, Harvey Picar, that should be interesting, and a bunch of comic book legends, and Peter Tork of the Monkees. In fact, that is the reason I'm touting the expo. Peter Tork will be a guest on Dave's Gone By sometime in December. So see him live in the flesh at the Expo, November 18th through 20th at 401 7th Avenue. Information is at BigAppleCon.com. Also on Monday, November 28th, radio DJ Valerie Smaldone will be moderating a panel by the creators of the off-Broadway show The Great American Trailer Park Musical. It's at 6.30 p.m. in the Frederick Lone Room at 1501 Broadway in Manhattan. The panel is called Talkin' Trash, and taking part will be cast members of the show and Amy Coleman, who co-starred with Valerie in the Fringe Festival musical Spit It Out. Amy and Valerie were both on Dave's Gone By when that show was playing, so I'm happy to give them a plug. Again, it's not this coming Monday, but the 28th at 1501 Broadway, Talkin' Trash. Details are at TrailerParkMusical.com. Tickets are $20, and free cheese doodles will be served. Well, time for me to pull my doodle out of the cheese and leave the neighborhood. Special thanks to Program Director Tom Ross, to my super doodlicious wife, Joyce, and to all of you for listening. Go to davesgoneby.org for a vintage episode of Dave's Gone By, starting right now on live365.com, and come back to WGBB at 9 for Filler Up, an hour of music and a little bit of me. Meanwhile, we'll close with a little more Christine Lavin, standing in some high-heel shoes. We'll both be back next week, November 24th. Drum roll, please, for the 150th episode of Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night, good living, good laughing, and gone by. I'm getting dizzy way up here. I haven't been this high in years. Whatever possessed me to blow $80 on these high heel shoes. like a punk, feels like a sneaker, they think we're idiots, but I bought them. 
Now I'm standing in a subway car. I ride because I cannot walk far. I couldn't find an empty cab on the street that was filled with high-heeled women with non-functioning feet. Twenty-six years ago, I dreamed of wearing shoes like these. Of the warped mind of the preteen. With a strange priority, but this is a nightmare of unsteady ankles and waving in the air. But the look my legs are getting from that man across the aisle almost make the pain and misery and Dr. Bill's worthwhile. If by chance you happen to meet this wobbly woman walking down your street. The click of high heels on concrete is not the thrill of victory. It's the agony of defeat. Hey, look at me, everybody. I'm Ernest from Paula Abdul. Oh, take pity on my vanity. Maybe question my sanity. Why I wear these uncomfortable things, heaven knows. Which makes me wonder about these pierced earrings in my pantyhose. My control top. Ooh, I can see you don't want me to sing about pantyhose. You'd rather I go back to tap dancing like my close personal friend Paula Abdul. Who, by the way, like me, was a geek back in high school. Oh, I'm sorry, but that's not what this song is about. At least it wasn't when we started out. I pray the subway ride never ends, so I will never, never have to walk again. In high heels, it's a different atmosphere. In high heels, I can see your house from here. In high 